Beloved, we have sung of our Savior's birth. I ask you to join me in Matthew 1 and 2 for a few minutes as we see what the Lord Himself had to say about it. First though, let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for this day. We thank You so much for the gift of song. Throughout Your Word, we see how music is used to bring You glory. And I pray, Father, that as there have been solos, quartets, duets, and choir, and whatnot, Father, that You have received the glory here this morning, that You and Your Son have been exalted. And as we have sought to do that, Father, now we seek to do so through Your Word. And so I simply ask that Your Word will go forth. Sanctify us by the truth. Your Word is truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The New Testament begins with 17 verses which link Jesus to Abraham and David. It's a very, very, very interesting genealogy. Someday we're going to spend some time on that. But today I want to start in Matthew 1.18. I'm going to read down through chapter two of, uh, verse 2 of chapter 2. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. This is the most familiar of stories, and it's really not a story. It's nonfiction. This is not some fanciful tale. This is not a bedtime story. This is truth. What happened here happened here. And many of us have heard this passage taught numerous times, probably dozens of times in your life, particularly in the month of December. And there is a saying in our culture that familiarity breeds contempt. Well, I hope that's not the case for what we just read. I'd hope none of us bear contempt regarding the truth of the Savior's birth. But familiarity can also breed apathy. And if not apathy, then a tendency to check out mentally. After all, we have heard all of this before. What more is there to learn about Christmas? It's been my experience that Christians, young and old, new converts and those who have known the Lord for decades, can grow numb 
And pardon the the bumper sticker cliche here, but we can grow numb to the reason for the season. We can grow numb to Christmas, and what I mean by that is the truth of why there is a celebration in the first place. It can fade into the background as other things like gifts and food and and family and and trees. We're going to put my tree up or, or decorate it later today. But those things can crowd out the matters of eternal consequence if we're not careful. Maybe that's why Peter in his second letter said of simple gospel truths, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir up, to stir you up by way of reminder. I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. What Peter's saying there is he wanted his readers not to grow numb to simple gospel truth. Even after he was gone, he wanted them to remember and never, ever forget, never lose that wonder of the gospel. And as it pertains to us, Christmas. We must never forget why the content of Christmas is so wonderful and why its place among the essential gospel truths is essential to what Jude called the faith once for all handed down to the saints. Christmas truth, beloved, is absolutely consequential. It is absolutely essential. It is essential that we understand God becoming a man. It is essential this morning that we understand the identity of this child. For we see in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. It's that word Christ. In verse 1, you might see it translated Messiah in some of our English translations. But it's that Greek word Christos. It's a translation of a Hebrew word that means anointed one. And what Matthew is writing to us here is that Jesus Christ is he, he, he is Jesus the anointed one. He is Jesus the Christ. He is the Messiah. And my immediate point is that Christ is not Jesus' last name. And in this day and age where so many are, are, are biblically illiterate, some may make that mistake, but Jesus' last name is not Christ. It is His, it is his title. The people of Israel were to be looking for the Christ. They were to be looking for the Messiah, a particular Messiah, a particular anointed one. Someone who, who did some of the things that David did but was different. He, this one was going to be different from them all. And Matthew is saying Jesus is the one. Jesus is the Messiah. That's the identity of this child in Bethlehem. He's the man... All Israel was to be looking for, and not just that. Verse 20, the angel told Joseph not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife, this woman who he was betrothed to. She turned up pregnant. Why not be afraid then? Why not? Because the child was not the offspring of sexual immorality. No, the child who was conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, the child, he's not just the Messiah, but He's God incarnate. He's God in human flesh. He's God as a man. And as many times as we repeat that, beloved, we can never lose sight of that wonder. We can never lose sight that the same God who spoke all things into being and nothing came into being that He has not brought into being, the same God who did that condescended to become like one of His creatures. Now, Jesus is not a created being. Some false teachers 
say that he's like one of his creatures. He's 100% God. He's 100% man. God added humanity to his already eternally existing deity when he became a baby inside Mary's womb. God with us, Emmanuel. That the very word Christmas means the presence of the Messiah, Christ's presence. So if our focus isn't upon the identity of the child, upon who Jesus is, the anointed one, then what are we doing here this morning? Well, we also have to know that it's essential to understand the purpose of the child. And there could be so much said about this because Scripture gives us so many purposes for Jesus' coming. To establish His kingdom, to reign forever, to, to destroy the works of the devil. These are all scriptural reasons why Jesus came. All very biblical, very true, but when you get right down to it, it's verse 21. He will save His people from their sins. Jesus came to save His people from their sins. We can't keep the baby in the manger. Because the baby grew up and the baby clearly articulated His own purpose. In John 6, he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me and he who believes in me will never thirst. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up. On the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who belongs to the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on that last day. So Christianity, and even Christmas, is not primarily about a baby, so much as it is the incarnation of the Son of God to do what Jesus just said. To save all whom God the Father gives him. The, the Son of Man did not come to serve, or to be served, he says in another place, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to save his people from their sins. And so amidst the trees and the tinsel and the shopping and the food and the get-togethers, family time, I had, I had good family time yesterday, and, and you know, some of you will have work functions, and we're about to have fellowship, and you know, there's TV specials, there's lots of stuff that go along with this season. Don't lose sight of the purpose of the child. Because if we lose sight of why Jesus came, we lose everything. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all spiritual stillborns. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, as Paul puts it. We have no hope, no way of working our way back up to God. We can't climb that ladder to heaven. There's no amount of good we can do. So Jesus came to take our place. He became a child so that He could grow up and go up on the cross to bear the full fury of His Father's wrath for all sin, for all time, for all who will ever believe. All the Father was giving Him. That's the purpose of the child. So if you are one 
whom He has sought and bought, if you are one for whom His precious blood was shed, if you are one for whom He left heaven and humbled Himself to the point of becoming a helpless baby, think of that, God becoming a baby, then what is our response to the child? Well, there is little doubt the Magi from the East had... They they didn't have anything close to a full understanding of who this child was. They didn't have the revelation that we have that we're privileged to have this morning. They probably didn't get that this baby was is God. But nevertheless, based on what they did know about Him, why did they come all of that way? I mean, it's not like they could hop in a plane, train, or automobile and get from the east into Jerusalem and then Bethlehem in any quick time. But look at why they came again in chapter 2, verse 2. What did they say to Herod? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Worship, beloved. That is the response to Jesus. And not worship that's restricted to things done in this room. Not worship that's restricted to songs sung. Not worship that's restricted to an offering given. Not worship that's restricted to a preacher preaching and others hearing. But worship with everything we do, everything we are, everything we have, with every minute God gives us. It's loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. It's bowing to our knees with all of our lives and saying, Thy will be done. And I can think of no better time this needs to be remembered than at Christmas. You know, we could do a lot worse at Christmas time than simply doing what the Magi did. In the words of the timely hymn, Angels from the Realm of Glory, Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ, the newborn King. You could search Scripture far and wide, you would never find a command to celebrate Christmas. Do you realize that? Nowhere in the Bible are we told to commemorate the birth of Jesus. That's not to say we're wrong for doing so. That's not to say I'm not glad we're doing so. We need to think about the implications of Jesus' incarnation a lot. But we're not commanded to celebrate Christmas. We are commanded, though, in no uncertain terms, to worship God. So then to celebrate Christmas rightly, what must be at the forefront of our thoughts and our words and our actions and our motivations? We have come to worship Him. The glory of God. The glorification of Yahweh in human flesh. Glory to God in the highest. Jesus the Christ. Without this, for all Christmas is, it's nothing but empty sentimentality when it is divorced from the first priority to live out the declaration that has been sung here this morning, we will worship Thee. Worship the One who created all things. Worship the One who saved Israel from slavery in Egypt. Worship the One who established kings. Worship the King of the Jews who became a baby. Worship the One who healed the sick and gave sight to the blind and made the lame to walk 
and raised to the dead and told people that I am the way and the truth and the life and no one gets to the Father except through me. We celebrate the coming of that one. We anticipate the second coming of that one. And between the times, we worship the one who went to the cross to bear the punishment for all who will ever come to him. Who will ever come and worship. This morning, beloved, worship Christ, the King of Kings. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. And I pray that you would encourage all of us with the truth of Christmas. And we have so many things and so many ways by which we celebrate this season. May none of them crowd out the glory of the truth, of the story. The glory of God who became man, who humbled himself to the point of death on the cross, but has now been raised and sits at your right hand until his enemies are made a footstool. And as Israel was to be looking for the first coming of their Messiah, may we obediently and faithfully anticipate the second coming of Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen.